0: The first annual Compassion Parenting retreat is happening soon in picturesque southern Utah. Come learn more about developing a grounded, loving presence as a parent. If you register now for the retreat, you'll get a one-year membership in Compassion Parenting, an inspiring online community. If you're already a member of Compassion Parenting, you have a ticket. Go to CompassionParenting.com for more information. The Compassion Parenting Podcast, hosted by Dr. Mary Wilde, Episode 5 Seasons on Sickness and Health, Part 1. Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast, helping moms to love wisely and well. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Wilde, integrative pediatrician and mom of eight sons who continually challenge and teach me. Over the years, I've learned that rather than outward technique, It's the internal landscape of the heart that affects parenting more than anything else. Mothering is about being, not just doing. You have everything you need within you to become the parent you want to be. So let's bring it out. Is one of those strange things we define more in terms of its absence than its presence. When we suddenly become aware of a body part or a body function, it's often because something is wrong. When everything's fine, we're ignorant of the seamless and detailed inner workings of how much is going right behind the scenes to make it so. In writing my first parenting book, I realized that so many of the things we worry about as parents really have nothing to do with our main work. We worry whether our meal rotation is interesting enough, or if our kids should be in this soccer program or that one, or which color to paint the living room. These decisions can matter, but they're not the center of parenting. They're niceties, elaborations, extras, which make their way to the foreground only because, thankfully, there's nothing more pressing. In the next couple episodes, however, I'd like to talk about parenting in times when there are more pressing things, specifically times of significant illness. On this podcast, periodically I'll invite guests who have expertise to share, either because of their official credentials or their lived experience. That's the case for today's episode and the next, where I'll share excerpts from my interviews with two amazing women whose parenting journeys have been touched by illness. I've personally been inspired by these moms, and I think you'll be too. This week, I'll be talking with Micah, mom of four, whose youngest son, Marcus, has experienced ongoing complications after having meningitis as a newborn. Here's our interview. Micah, if you could tell us some ways that having Marcus and needing to focus on him and do all the things required for his care has helped you focus on the priorities, on the most important aspects of parenting?
1: Sure. I think before I had Marcus and dealt with a child that had medical issues, I felt like I was kind of doing that already. But when you go through like something like that and something traumatic happens in your life or, you know, things change in that way. You really just kind of shift your focus in a way. And I think a lot of it comes from just the way the body responds. I feel like for me, it was just, it was almost too much to handle. And so we had to really scale back on what we were doing. Yeah. And refocus on what was most important to our family. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was difficult because my older kids didn't really understand and they, they were never up in the hospital, you know, after surgery. And they just kind of saw it as it was taking away from a lot of the things that they were able to do or involved in Mm -hmm. as they've gotten older. I think they understand a little bit more, but it's really, allowed our family I guess I should say to really focus on the things that are most important and there would be days where I would just kind of look at my calendar and say what absolutely has to be done today and that's all I focused on Mm -hmm. outside of the health and safety of my children Mm -hmm. so I think I learned kind of that lesson that less is more that as mothers and women we don't always have to be doing you know so many things our schedule doesn't have to be so tight to feel needed and to be a part of society that really what's most important are just those relationships within the walls of our home and doing the best that we can um what do you kind
0: of wish other people would have known or could have known What did the people who supported you realize? Like what did those people (laughs) see that the other people didn't maybe see?
1: Right. So I think before going through this, I would hear about other people's situations or, you know, someone you knew was in the hospital. And honestly, it's like while they're in the hospital, I did everything I could to make note of their family or pray for them be there for them. And then they'd come home from the hospital and you kind of just assume that everything's fine Mm -hmm. and that the worrying is over. And one thing Mark and I have realized is the journey just continues or the battle, I guess you could say. Um, So we were talking about it one night and he kind of said to me as a healthcare worker, when a patient comes into the hospital after surgery, and it's time to discharge them. They talk with them and their family members and just say, you know, great job, you've survived the surgery, and now you're gonna go home and not have the support from the healthcare workers. So passing this torch on over to the family members and basically to help successfully, help the patient successfully survive the recovery. Mm-hmm. He said that if they don't have that support after the surgery, a successful recovery is kind of often a long and drawn out process. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just really eye opening to me. And it's just one of those things, unless you've been through something similar, you just don't really think about it. But the difficulty does not stop once you're discharged from the hospital.
0: Yes.
1: And so I think. There's obviously a physical recovery. And for Marcus, the first time he was discharged, we had a hope that there wouldn't be any more. But we, you know, he had passed his hearing test. We knew that he could see. We weren't exactly sure what his cognitive abilities would be like yet. Mm -hmm. And we hoped for the best. And then as he got older, we realized he wasn't walking on time. And you know his speech and that's a lot of one thing that a lot of people don't understand something i got a lot because my son looked normal that if they didn't know the background it was just kind of put off as oh everyone learns at their own rate or not everybody walks at the same time but what they didn't understand about my son and as he had had the infections in the lining of his brain and the trauma to the brain with the hydrocephalus mm-hmm. and so there really was a lot weighing on our minds as parents that we didn't talk about. Yeah. We just didn't even know. We didn't know if he would be living with us the rest of his life. And, you know, no one truly means to be unkind, but I think we just, you know, we just assume like, oh, it's just like everybody else, he'll get it or whatever, you know, but it really is a different circumstance with kids who have gone through those things and you know you're just kind of waiting is the other foot going to drop when's it going to happen you know what's it going to be so
0: and I think that that uncertainty is part of the struggle and so even when there isn't like a looming crisis that uncertainty can
1: really take a toll yes and I think you know as I talked about like physical recovery, there's also an emotional recovery. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's probably something that people don't like to talk a lot about because it is vulnerable. And obviously I can't tell you from Marcus's perspective, because all of this was going on before he could learn to talk. But as parents, we definitely worked through that. And there was a definite time period where we had to work through what had happened. Mm -hmm. And that was surprising to the two of us as well, that it It took time, even though we didn't lose him and he was still alive or, you know, he's not in a wheelchair like some with hydrocephalus Mm -hmm. or, you know, all these things that went well for him. We were so grateful, but it still took time to work through almost losing him. And those things that happened and then before we were able to do that it was oh and now he has hydrocephalus you know and then all the therapy that we were doing so it just it takes time but one thing i've really learned about life is we talk about how time can be a great healer but i read a quote once it talked about how it's not just time but it's intention mm. and it's so true you know we have to have intention to heal physically, to heal emotionally. You know, it doesn't just happen with time. Sometimes if we just give it time, we can be stagnant or, you know, maybe the feelings dull with time. Mm-hmm. But if we truly want to work through a physical recovery or an emotional recovery, there has to be that intention. Um,
0: you know, one thing that that I experienced when I was caring for my mom for an extended period of time, I think the whole idea of time and just the, the drawn out process that <laughs> that we find ourselves in can be kind of hard for people to understand or relate to. Yes. Um, and sometimes I think it makes people unsure how to help or maybe they think that if they help with one thing they'll suddenly be roped in you know, 100% into our lives. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I found that even just the smallest little gestures, I never had the expectation that people would suddenly, you know, come and provide intensive services for me forever. But those small gestures meant so much. I i wonder if you experienced that as well.
1: Yes, definitely. You know, in the beginning, whenever we have a surgery, there's always dinner brought over a few times and we've loved that and always been so grateful and I would say probably through like the first two years of Marcus's life we were probably eating out more than I was cooking and I joke around that I kind of had to relearn how to cook because it's been so long and (laughs) trying to make some of my favorite recipes and they just don't turn out but you know you just put so much effort and energy into number one, just being a mom and doing all those normal things with all your other kids, and they have needs as well. Mm -hmm. And then you're dealing with this consistent um, recovery, like I said, both physically and emotionally with your child and also with yourself. Right. And so yes, I loved those things. But what I found, and what I think a lot of people can relate to is Um, and I found myself in the same position even afterwards, which was surprising to me. Sometimes we just don't know what to say, Mm -hmm. but I've learned that it is so much more important to look a person in the eye and smile. Mm -hmm. And I don't always have to say, how are you? Maybe they just lost their loved one and that might not be the greatest question, Mm -hmm. but I've learned to just kind of put my hand on theirs or put my hand on their arm and say, it is really great to see you. Mm -hmm. And I just think there's so many small things we can do just by acknowledging someone. I was telling my husband one day and I'm like, this might sound funny, but all I ever wanted was for people to understand that what we were going through was very difficult. Mm-hmm. but I also wanted to be treated normal the way that I was before I became the mother with the son with the health issues. Yes. And so you want people to acknowledge you. You want your friends to still react to you the same way they did when they saw you, but also understand that your life's not the same. And there are things that you can and can't do. Like I said, you learn to scale back and no, I don't help out at the school right now. You know, I, I'm careful with how many things I help out, but yet I do feel also that one of the things that really has helped my family work through this is helping other people and making sure to find that time when we could do that, to extend that love to other people and just that empathy that we had learned. So, Mm -hmm. but I definitely think whatever you can do to help someone, just acknowledge them. You know, no one wants to feel to go through something major like that and not be looked at. Right. Or just be kind of left alone because people are not know what to say. I know Brené Brown has a video out there about empathy versus sympathy. I believe it is. Mm. And she kind of talks about how there's really not one perfect thing to say in any given situation. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that we can say that's going to take it away from someone, you know, ultimately, We have to go through these struggles on our own but we can do it with the help of others and i feel like just like how mark talked about the physical recovery when the patient's leaving the hospital Mm
0: -hmm.
1: if their family helps with the physical recovery it won't be as long and drawn out and it'll be a much more positive experience i think it's just the same thing even though like maybe a neighbor or a friend isn't going to come over necessarily and help me and Marcus during physical therapy, Mm -hmm. they can help and guide us. And what they don't even realize is they can help us recover just by being kind, asking about it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's nice for people to just say, like I've learned with other people, if I notice something's going on, I'll just say, tell me about your son. Or tell me about your daughter, you know? Mm -hmm. And usually you can gauge by that question whether they want to talk about it or not. And Mm -hmm. then you can go from there. But it's not fun to be the elephant in the room. (laughs) Or be around people where it's like, we all know it's happened, but nobody knows what to say. So let's pretend it didn't happen. (laughs) Right. And I...
0: I think that's so true that there's not necessarily one right thing to say. And I remember after my mom passed away, so many people used the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. Because I know that that is a phrase that people are told to use, like even in the hospital yeah. itself.
1: Yes.
0: You know, but, and, and I was just grateful that they said something and I did appreciate um that they said something and looked at me and acknowledged my loss but i actually appreciated more when people just said it in their own words (laughs) and maybe even when they fumbled over their words it was like a heartfelt statement rather than a script i think that authenticity of concern expressed in your own words is valuable yes so That, that
1: makes me think of a quote I love Brene Brown, and I've got a couple quotes of hers. Mm -hmm. But she says, compassion is not a virtue. It is a commitment. It's not something we have or don't have. It's something we choose to practice. And I love that because, you know, as we've talked about, it can be really uncomfortable when you run into someone at the store and you know they've had something major in their life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what goes through our mind is, oh, my goodness, I don't want to make it worse. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. but I love, and I have also heard people say, well, that's just not one of my talents. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at being compassionate. So I love how Renee just mm-hmm. talks about like, it's kind of a choice, Yeah. you know? And I think sometimes when we want to even just do kind things for other, there others, there's this natural like thought in our minds. What if they don't appreciate it? Mm-hmm. And something I've just learned through life is, You know, I believe in prayer, I believe in a higher power. I like to help other people. And so if I have a thought to do something kind for someone, I've just learned to just go for it and do it. And if for some reason it's not appreciated or it wasn't the right thing, then I'm learning to tell myself that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have to take the hit for that or feel, you know, really bad or guilty. that for a long time when I know as long as my words were kind or whatever I did was meant to be kind Mm -hmm. and that's okay because I think sometimes it's that little voice that does stop us from saying things does stop us from doing things because from one person to another you don't know what they want you don't know Mm -hmm. how to help them and what the right thing is to say
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: I don't know if that makes any sense at all.
0: Yeah. And so. it, it brings us back to what you were talking about in the beginning of the intention. The yes. intention to heal is not only within the people who have, um, who are experiencing sickness, but also the intention to heal um, can be shared from the support people that yes. they're trying to offer healing in their own way and, and support in that. So, yes. Well, I think that that's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with me and answering my questions. And I feel like you've shared a lot of really wonderful wisdom. Is there anything else you want to say you feel like has been
1: left out or? I'll share one more quote with you Mm -hmm. and we can people can take it as they will. Again, it's another Brene Brown, but I love this. She just said, what we don't need in the midst of struggle is shame for being human. And I love that because we don't need to feel shamed because something happened to us or happened to our child. And I think sometimes, and maybe shame isn't the correct word, but you know, when, when you are around people and they don't know what to say to you, you feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone's noticed you in the store, but has pretended not to see you, you know, it doesn't escape The view of the person going through something difficult and although I Completely understand 100% that those people don't mean any ill will and they don't mean to cause hurt it it's still I Think can prolong That recovery. Yeah, in a way, you know, we're all human we go through these things we're all at some point going to go through the hardship of it. You know, it's okay to be human. It's okay to feel. It's okay to talk about emotions. It's okay to talk about emotional recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's okay mm-hmm. to just be real and, and take that time, but also have that intention.
0: I'm so grateful to Micah for sharing her story with us. Whether we're in a season of sickness or health, We can glean these important lessons to consider scaling back, to allow ourselves to be human, to give ourselves time for emotional recovery, to be intentional about finding healing. Also, we can help others by acknowledging them and their situations, by communicating authentically, and by making the commitment to practice compassion. And practice means we might not always get it right the first time. Join me next week for part two of Seasons on Sickness and Health, where I'll be talking with Jenny, who has raised three wonderful daughters despite her own debilitating illness. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Compassion Parenting Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What resonated with you? What questions came up? Let's continue the conversation on Instagram, at Compassion Parenting, or within my free Facebook group, Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. Links are in the show notes. If you've gained insight from the time we've shared today, leave a review and subscribe. There's a quick how-to in the show notes. Have a blessed week. May you love yourself, your family, and the
1: world wisely and well.